0: Welcome to the Naked Truth We'll talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Deborah and I'm Eric, and today we are going to chat with a friend of the show and a friend of ours about his experiences building communities and supporting events in countries around the world. He is a current champion level competitor with over 20 years of experience. He has won numerous competitions and awards, and his training includes hip-hop, jazz, contemporary, ballet, various swing dances, Latin dances, and numerous others. He is recognized as an instructor, chief judge, event promoter, and community builder, and he serves as an advisor to events around the world. He has taught in over 30 countries, and he spends most of the year on the road. Here to talk about his experiences and insights from traveling and working with so many different communities is Mr. Chuck Brown. Welcome, Chuck
1: hi guys how you doing hi welcome glad to have you yeah right thank you for having me it's good to be had isn't it (laughs) it's always (laughs) good to be had so let's get right to it with the first question so you've been a dance professional for a long time now but you have a unique role in building events and communities outside of the united states tell us about your role in supporting communities abroad and how you found this kind of work
2: well um in 2010, I was working full-time. I was teaching and dancing uh, part-time. I was up in Chico, California, if you know where that is. I had a really nice uh, group there. I was engaged to a girl, and uh, it didn't work out, and I decided to move to Portland. And shortly after that, I had a friend in France, named Letitia, if you know who she is, Deborah, I'm sure you yes. know Letitia. She offered for me to come to live in Paris with her, and she would be my agent. And I basically said to myself, I can't move to Paris. I've never been anywhere outside the United States besides Mexico and maybe Japan. And so I just did. I had somebody to watch my dog, Django, and I just left. And uh, Leticia basically uh, developed uh, classes for me in Paris, in Lyon, in Montpellier, in Bordeaux, Toulouse, and then Paris, and I'd do that route every month. And it was it was the start of everything.
1: But right. how did you get the role? Because you you are really known for like building events yeah. and communities. So how did that assimilate and happen? I so, know how you got to Europe, yeah. but how did yeah.
2: It started it started with Olivier Masson, uh and the French Open. I I was really uh, working with him a lot, trying to get Westie meeting, which which it was, it was that was the pre- previous name for the French Open. It was a Kyle and Sarah workshop weekend who had a lot of people, four hundred people. and then we decided to just make that the French open. And from there, I basically uh, helped him, that was my start of organizing everything is
3: to,
2: to help him with the French open start and get the points and and promote and uh, I taught him how to, you know basically, uh, take a small workshop event and make it a big event. And that was the start of everything. And once that happened, uh, I started being asked to, to uh, uh, go to different parts of, the, of Europe, like Sweden and Russia and uh, Germany and England and all these other parts of, of Europe to help do what I did in, in France. Uh, and then Asia was about two years after that with the see in Singapore. Yeah, it started basically from France, uh, just teaching the local communities. Uh, most of the people in France, I remember when they were novice dancers. I mean, I remember when Virginie and Maxime were intermediate, uh, low advanced dancers when I was in Lyon. And, uh, I love the community there, but there was so much, there was so much, uh, ego uh, between different, com- different promoters in France. My job, I felt was to try to bring people together. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the start of my passion for trying to influence the community in a positive way.
0: So how many events do you currently work with or advise?
2: Oh, God, probably right now, full time, probably 25 to 30,
0: Wow, including my Mm -hmm. own, of course. Yeah. That's Um, a lot. And how many communities are you involved with in terms of supporting their leaders or supporting their development?
2: Oh God, Eric, a lot. (laughs) Uh, I, I don't know. I just, you know, like I, because I I'm not attached. I have a girlfriend, Annika, of course, Uh, Debra knows Annika and I think you do too, Eric, but she's in Finland. So it gives me a chance to, to not only go for the weekends for these events and come back, but I go and I stay. Mm -hmm. And, um, any, over the years I've uh, working with Chico and develop, helping develop the Chico crowd with Piper and, uh, and Lee, John's wife, uh, mm-hmm. and Megan, and all those guys—it uh, really gave me a, a gave me a, an insight to what my role should be in this community, and that was to bring people together and show them the wonderful world—not just of West Coast Swing, but of dance in general. And so, in, right now in Europe, I probably I'm probably in about 15 to 18 countries, different cities between each, uh, and in Asia. Of course, Singapore. I'm going to Malaysia next week. We've got uh, Japan. We're working on the Japanese Open right now, or Japan Open for for at least next year. Um, We're working in – I'm going to China this year for the first time to try to get China going. Just all sorts of communities, guys, all sorts of communities.
0: So what is your take on dancing in these different regions? How is the dance the same? How is it different from what you see here in the U.S.? Oh God. <laughs>
2: oh God. Here we go. Um, uh,
1: it's the naked truth. Don't forget.
2: Look, I think, I think the dance, there's a, there's an old saying that I learned years ago from Bill Cameron. He said, you only know the dance at the time you come into it. And though, and I never really thought about that until I started traveling quite a bit. Um, we are very, we're a lot more social here in the United States as far as like, you know, the average uh, percentage of compet- competitors in our U.S. market uh, at our events is usually 50 to 60%. In Europe is about 90 to 95%. Asia is probably the same. Um, so they came into a very competitive environment. Uh, the difference, I think, is work ethic. I think the international communities have better work ethic. And mainly it's, it, the motivation is based on competition, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I've done a lot of research on competition and self-esteem and all that good stuff. We'll talk about that later. But I think, think for the most part, uh, the technique is really solid overseas. They train really. And a lot of that comes from dancers coming from outside genres like ballet and jazz and contemporary. As Deborah knows,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, the, the dance level is, is quite quite high over there uh, coming into Western <clears throat> Swing. Where in, in, uh, in the U.S., I feel like people come into West Coast Swing for social reasons, uh, whether it be escapism, whether it be physical fitness, whether it be, of course, community, which we all know. But over there, competition drives a lot. They may be more technical. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but they may be more technical, but we're more musical for sure, in my opinion. I think the US is better musically. We have more history, uh, we swing better.
1: If that makes sense. But wouldn't you say that part of the reason why the Europeans uh, and the Asians, blah, 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 have excelled uh, quickly is because part of their culture is partner dancing. It's part of their culture since the beginning of time. And ours yeah. swings in and out of partner dancing.
2: Well, I do agree with you, Deborah. I do think that, you know, as I've done research on this, there are countries like Australia and Russia where actually – contrary to our belief it's not popular for men to dance we think it is mm-hmm. but it really isn't talking to people in the country they have a hard time getting men into dance because it's not a manly thing to do mm-hmm. uh, i do think the difference is com- competition example like in chinese there's a word uh, there's a phrase called gai su gai su means it, 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 r- roughly translated means don't do anything unless you're going to be the best at it there's don't mm-hmm. waste your time Mm-hmm. And I feel like this attitude, this Geisu attitude permeates through Europe and Asia. I think people don't want to do this unless they're good at something. And there's other factors, too. I mean, we, we haven't talked about the, the social aspect or, or self-esteem aspect, which is my biggest endeavor right now trying to fix. Um, but I think I think it, dance is dance. But I think some cultures, like you said, Deborah, some cultures do have um do have an inclination to promote dance more and i think spain i would say brazil italy uh, italy you know mm-hmm. you know the latin cultures i think dance is quite big and right. even asia is quite big uh, mm-hmm. but it's different asia is a little bit different there is a lot of cultural dances uh, i studied some indonesian dances when i was in jakarta and uh, trying to figure out the history of why dance is so big in the philippines and indonesia and malaysia and and that area and it comes from religion you know uh, the women would dance to tell their religious stories so Ooh, it's interesting. quite interesting yeah it's quite interesting to hear the background so dance mm-hmm. is part of their culture that's why a lot of people if you go to the philippines a lot of people dance in the philippines whether it be mm-hmm. hip-hop whether it be ballroom whether it be local uh dances it's quite interesting
1: but you know. also the, the philippines if i remember correctly. Um, And the only reason I know this is because Charles Gill from Australia, um, his family comes from a huge entertainment background and Filipino. And there's huge entertainment in in the Philippines. There's television and music and dancing. It's part of their culture.
2: It is completely. Mm -hmm. If you go there, if you go to the Philippines, you'll see karaoke nights everywhere.
1: Right.
3: And
2: if if you go to people's homes, everybody's doing karaoke.
0: It's crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, So when you talk about the dance being more musical here um, and more swingy. What does that mean?
2: Oh God, here we go. (laughs) I think, okay, this is going to sound really, okay. This is the naked truth, right? Yep.
1: Yes. This is, this
2: is, this is my honest opinion. I think because of, let's just start with square one. I think swing or, you know, originated in, in, in the United States. Um, and we have this part of our culture that 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 permeates through our dance because of the mentors that we've had, the Debras, the you know, and even before that, the Jack and Annie's,
3: mm-hmm. and it goes
2: back even to the Dean Collin days, and even to the to the Frankie Manning days. We have we've been able to visualize it. We, we can see it. Um, I feel like in internet, in Europe and in Asia, I feel like it's way more pattern based. It's way more paint-by-the-numbers based. Uh, now, this is going to sound really messed up, but I, I, I don't like when people don't dance from the heart, from the soul. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's much easier to memorize a pattern than to give your emotions through mm-hmm. your art. And I think that because, that you're, because Europe came into uh, this dance when we were very competitive, and co- competition drives that market more than anything else, I think that it's much easier to memorize a trick and a pattern to get the audience, to get the judge's attention, which is, my, is a whole other subject for me. But um, I feel like in America, we were way more social. When I first started, I, I started with a, a girl named Dottie Lovato. Deborah knows yes, Dottie.
1: from Sacramento. Um, and mm-hmm.
2: then I, I got into West Coast Swing because I saw a guy named Mark Endo, dentist to everybody, right. do uh, West Coast Swing in Cahoots. We all did country back then. And then I went to a, my first convention i saw robert lorraine i was like that's it i'm done went back to Dottie and i started take, taking lessons but you got to understand we would go to, go in the middle of a parking lot put lights on put on radio and we'd be dancing socially in the middle of a parking lot at two in the morning i don't see that happening in europe i don't well, see that drive to 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 be social to be social in well, that in, way
1: well in defense to them we have to recognize that when 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 West Coast came to fruition in the United States, it was a social dance first and competition kind of, you know, caught on later in years of West Coast swing. And when Europe came onto the scene, we had lots of competition. So that's what they were exposed to. Right. Yes, correct. Yeah, correct. Right.
2: Deborah. I, I think right. I, I don't think, it's, I think I don't think it's their fault. No. There is no fault here. I'm just right. saying, in my opinion, I think they came in when competition was really driving this community, right. which right. to me leaves out a whole big part of our, our dance and our Absolutely. community. Mm-hmm. And I feel they're coming closer to that. There are events like Day on the Promenade with Maxence, who's doing a, a, a convention with no with no competitions, which right. is really successful. And I think that there is room for that in Europe, and it is it is starting to promulgate through, through the through international events, but still, it's driven by the competition. Side,
1: uh, you yeah. know, I get it. You know, it's all to, when you come into the community, and again, like you're you know, it started in France, and that was not, now it's twelve or thirteen years ago, maybe more. Came in when we were high competition in West Coast. That's what they were exposed to, and you're they correct. couldn't see the social, you know, uh, aspect.
2: Now, I've, I've always said that dance is what brings us together community is what makes us stay and I believe right. that I believe that the community in Europe and Asia they're so genuine they're so real it's not very clicky it's it's uh, maybe with a few exceptions in a few countries uh, and that's because of a status issue uh, they use points as status as self-esteem uh, motivation and I think it's, it's it's really in my opinion the biggest, the biggest problem of our dance today, uh, in, in overseas is that people, you know, studies have shown that competition drives, is a great motivator to drive you to be more successful, but also it also compet-
1: separates people. It also
2: separates people. They, mm-hmm. uh, and if you read, if you le- read a lot of research when I was going through my MBA, we talk about groups, group formation of groups and motivation within a group will always be more effective than individual, uh, motivation and competition. So, um, I feel now we're starting to get people to get together outside of the competition realm mm-hmm. and work together, and and not have so much animosity towards uh, or jealousy towards success of another. And I feel like it all it, all this all this happens because of the modern day social media movement. Mm-hmm. I think that. We look online, and people post all these brilliant things. People travel around the world. People are doing this. People are that winning this. People are winning that, which makes people's expectations almost un, un,
3: un, unattainable. Mm-hmm.
2: So it puts people in a very, very low self-esteem from the get-go. And now they come into a, a, a now they come into a community which is amazing. They see a way for them to be, you know, accepted and validated as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the main thing. I think my success in, in community building has, has been going in and there's a couple of things. One, you have to be real. You can't be fake. If you do this for the wrong reason, people will see right through you. If you If you're nice and generally have good heart about what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. you'll be successful at building a community. But I think my, my success has been coming into different communities, understanding their culture, trying to understand their language, try to understand the way they think and what they really want. What is it that people really want when they come to dance? As a coach, the same thing. I always ask people, you do too, Deborah, and I love the way you teach privates, is you ask people, What's your goals? Why are you here? What
1: you What know, do you do for a living? What do you so do I for a living? Yeah.
2: And it's I feel like know a that. lot of people don't do that. And for me, it's all about people. The more I can make people feel validated and yes and, and happy about who they are, they don't have to yeah. be a skinny size two model to be right. accepted in this community that people will ask you to dance. And I, and I really, it's sad to me to see how much dysfunction we have with this egotistical part of our community. At the same time, there's so much benefit from dance that I can't even express it in words.
1: No, agreed. But it's you know? its our job as um, uh, well, community builders are people that are in the public eye often and do this job you know, for a living to recognize that like Part of my brand is I, I make people recognize that they are important. People are important. And the dancing is not what defines who you are in this dance community. It's just a part of it. And I'm and I, and I I'm a proponent of we need to connect more off the dance floor so that when we're on the dance floor, magic happens. And I think if more of us came from that uh, school of thought, it would change how you see Maybe the European culture of dance. Deborah, well, this is why that? I
2: love you so much. You think and I, you and I think exactly the same. We're we do, and I and I feel like if more people would understand this about about life in general, the world would be a better place. And you know, as I've gotten older, the only thing I can do is give back as much as this dance has given me. Right. You know, uh, and I feel like by bringing people together outside of the community. That's why I do a lot of, like in Singapore, I do my Asian open tour
3: and
1: I do
2: tours for other events as well. I'd get people together outside of the dance convention to get people to know each other and to understand who we are and that we're all just humans trying to, trying to get along and trying to be accepted and belong to something more important than us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the key to all community building. When you focus on dance as a community builder, you will fail in my opinion. There's I
1: totally agree.
2: Dance is, is, is something It's a luxury item. It can, it can be, be, oh, I don't feel like going dancing. I don't need to. But if you promote the community aspect of it, hey, I'm going to go see my friends tonight. Dancing secondary. You will always be successful. Uh, and my, my, my goal, guys, is just to try to bring the communities together and just show them the magic of dance and how much it can affect you positively uh, from, a, from a health perspective, from a mental perspective.
1: From soulful perspective, from a soul perspective. exactly yes, to, right.
2: Exactly, yeah. You, know, you, you and I think the same on this. You, you, you get
1: it. Oh, I but do get it. I think, I, I think you know, dance is such a fantastic thing, but we focus on, we hyper focus on the, the the wrong things, which is why some things don't work in our dance. And if we would focus more on each other and the commonality of why we're all in this group together, everything else, you know. Um, will fall into place, but you listen. So the dance has spread like to so many countries um, and it takes, you know, roots differently um, in different countries. Why do you think uh, there is a variance from country to country and how does national culture affect the uptake of West Coast sway?
2: Oh God, it it affects it quite a bit. I, I, this has been the hardest challenge for me Mm -hmm. to, even to teach, you know this. Everywhere the same. Everywhere we go, we have to kind of alter our teaching methods a little bit different for the communities and the cultures we're going into. Right. Uh, for an example, one of the areas that we're having difficulty getting going is Spain. Spain should be huge with the amount of soul and dance and flamenco and everything in that country. Spain should be just as big as France. But I think, I think it takes. I'm going to go outside the box a little bit, go back a little bit. I think in order for these, in order to get any, based on the, it doesn't matter the culture right now, but uh, to get a community started, you have to have somebody in that community from that local area that speaks the languages that can totally champion the dance. Yes. That's the key thing. If you have people that are, they're teaching Windy Hop and only do West Coast a little bit, but their heart is in West, uh, Windy Hop. West Coast is not going to take off. This happened with the example, a great example of this would be would be both Katya in Russia and Z in Singapore. Mm Katya, I first met Katya at at Harang in Sweden as a lindy hopper. Right. And she, she saw this dance and she brought it back to Moscow and she took it on and she built the community. But she... Is from Moscow. She understands the culture. She understands the dynamic, and it took right. that that person to make that happen. Z is another one, top salsa right. dancer in Asia. Goes to uh, the uh, city salsa congress. sees Jordan taught to gravity and says, "What the hell is that? Right. I need I need that." And so he brought it back to Singapore, and and he had that motivation to start. It. And he so he knew the culture. He knew what people wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, example like Singapore is very. Uh, is very technically oriented. They love technique. They love,
3: sure.
2: they want to be better that way. You, you understand, Deborah, then you go into people, other places, or culturally, they may see the dances more social. And
3: mm-hmm. they just
2: got off work. They don't want to compete. They just want to come, come back and be part of a group and have fun. And I think it takes, it takes an understanding of these cultures. And that's why for me, I like to go into the cultures and live in these countries for many, for many weeks or sometimes a month at a time. Uh, just to understand how they think, how they understand, how they behave, what they really want as a, uh, as people and as a culture affect that. And I'm saying, like, there's certain places that I have a hard time teaching because of this. Uh, I love Finland to death because Finland is, of course, my girlfriend's uh, home country. And I love the people. They're really wonderful people. But it took me a long time, and it still is very difficult for me to understand the culture. They're very introverted. Uh it's very hard to get them to socialize unless you really know them. And for me, as a person who talks a lot,
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. it's very
2: difficult for me to, to connect. Where I go into to Australia, it's just the opposite. So right. um, it's really interesting to be able to learn about all these cultures and try to figure out how how to structure my classes or help the local promoters structure their their. Uh, new uh, dance centers or, or studios or weekly classes based on what that clientele really, really is demanding.
1: Well, um, I'm curious as to why um, it's so difficult, as you said, for uh, Spain to take off considering Spain culturally is not very far from Italy as far as how they are passionate about things and France as well because they're all, you know, Latin-based languages, um, romance, romance language rather. Uh, so I'm curious why Spain is having such a hard time. What do you think it is about their culture that it makes it hard for the West Coast Swing community to take off, or is music. there just no one
2: there? It's, music. I, I think music is one. The, the the when you go to Spain, I know you've been to Spain before. Like uh, the, from what I've talked to from my people that live in in, in Spain. They say the music is really is really the driving force. Salsa, bachata, Zouk is very popular there. But I I think it's beyond that. I I don't I think that's an excuse for. In my opinion, I think the reason why is we don't have people there really pushing the dance as hard as they could. Okay. In my opinion, I, I think it could be just as big and it could be huge. Like we're in the process right now of trying to get an event going in Barcelona. One of the uh, one of the areas that I really think an event that that could happen.
1: Northern um, Madrid, even though Madrid's a larger we, we do metropolitan have area,
2: we do have Madrid. We have Mad Swing, and it's slowly going, but uh,
3: okay.
2: they they only hire one couple there, which is great. Eb, you know Eb yes. because he speaks sure. Spanish,
3: yeah.
2: uh, and Matilda. But like um, I and Robert Royston goes there uh, every year, but the majority of people that go to the the event that he goes to in Spain are from Finland and Sweden. It's interesting. It's quite, yeah, it's really quite interesting. So, like, I've actually talked to Robert about this, and mm. um, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I think Deborah there, there goes twofold. I think the culture is very musical, but the kind of music that, that the average person listens to may not be what the other countries are listening to. I'm not sure. I, I could be wrong, like usual. But I do think, I do think that we need more people in Spain really pushing this full time. And I, and I think, I mean, even Sonia Desterol was, was thinking about moving to Valencia because uh, she was going to take on that role with Shandi there who teaches zoo. And I think if you had somebody uh, that had that motivation to come there, I think Spain could be absolutely huge. Italy's another one that comes and goes to me.
1: Yeah, but Italy and, has Milano. They have Genova.
2: Yes, uh, and they has, have Rome now. They have Rome. Rome.
1: Yeah. So they have, you know, three, you know, major cities that have um, West Coast swing. And Whereas I think, Spain doesn't have anything.
2: And I think the other thing, too, is cost. <laughs> One mm. thing I haven't talked about is cost. Some of these countries that have really big communities, like the two fastest growing communities to me in Europe right now is Sweden uh, and Poland. Germany is growing too. Romania is also growing fast. And Poland is growing like leaps and bounds. Uh, Marchin and Kasia in the south and Krakow and Wayne Powell up north and uh, Piotr and Marta up in Warsaw. These guys have really pushed Poland to where every event sells out in like literally like fifteen days.
1: is isn't Hungary um, like that as well. Hungary is like that as well. Right. Uh, but
2: that whole area—Hungary, Romania, uh, Poland—and uh, I think a lot of the reasons why these events are huge is and the communities are big because it's not as expensive. Uh, you sure. know, you go you go to Norway and Switzerland, and you know, a hamburger is going to cost you twenty five euros. Right. You know, uh, it's just really expensive to get anything going in these, and and it has to do with studio rental as well. Like mm-hmm. that's what, another thing that is really on my. I, I'm a, I'm a proponent for promoting this dance, not hindering it.
1: And that's so, right. like
2: I I do have some some grievances that you and Deborah, you and I have talked about this detail with the World Sweet Dance Council and how yeah. they they limit. Uh, the model of, of Europe—they want everybody in a hotel—and that's and I'm, impossible. It's impossible. They yeah, don't understand totally. That the cost of an event, the cost of a ballroom in France is fifty thousand dollars for a weekend. You're not, and not only that, the the, the hotels are a lot older. They don't have yeah. a lot of ballroom space right. in these countries. Right. So there's no chance for for them to to, to grow create, to grow. And so right. I think it's it's a, it's counterproductive for these rules to be made based on U.S. market. Trends and U.S. market uh, uh, versus, and I just wish they would listen to us that are overseas and take that in consideration because we have we are growing in this dance more than any time in the history of our dance, and I think it has to do with a lot of different things. One, we have great local promoters uh, that are really pushing. You have great people uh, like you, Deborah and, and and Robert and Kyle and Sarah and Jordan Todd uh, and people going around the world teaching. And Mm -hmm. being able for these uh, local communities to bring back this great instruction to their communities and and having these events. And Eric, you and I talked about this a few days ago. I think that events are very, very powerful in in totally uh, uh, making the motivation to dance way higher. (laughs)
3: Like Mm -hmm.
2: I used to have a, a trick when I was in Chico. So when I had my class, I taught a Monday night class. I had 25 to 30 people in there. I charged five bucks. I did three hours and I got people. I did. I started out with hip hop and warm up and then went into swing. And then, but the key for that success of that community was me bringing them to events, capital swing. And -hmm. that's why I brought Chico dancing station there because they didn't have money to go to travel these events. So I brought an event to them and that's how Chico started. I believe that when people go to an event, they see community When it's not just them locally doing this, but there's people all over the world doing this, and when people can see that, now they become a a part of a collective that's huge. And I think once they feel accepted in a collective that big, that they are wrapped for a long time.
0: You just said, you know, we started this conversation where you said the scene is very competition driven, yes, and that community was not as strong. So how are people going to an event and feeling a part of community if if what they're walking away with is a, comp- a sense of competition instead.
2: Agreed. I, I think people go to an event because, because of, of the social side first. But I think we have friends and, and maybe teachers who maybe push them, or maybe even out of association, everybody's competing, maybe I should do this. And so they their friends, go, like example, like I remember talking to, I can't remember who it was recently, where they went to their first event and, they were. They didn't even know what competition was, but they friends signed them up. Oh, it was Laszlo. It was Laszlo. Laszlo, and they just and they just put a number on his back. And I, I think it was Laszlo. I can't remember. But one of those people over there uh, basically said that they were signed up to do competition when they weren't even planning to do competition. Then they did it and they got hooked. Some people, it's not for them, which is fine. Everybody has their own motivation for being in this community but right. like I said in, in Europe I think people go to events because of social because and you know the number one reason why people go to events worldwide is because their friends go period mm-hmm. I did studies of that when I had my reno dance station event I, I did a study on why people come to an events and I surveyed many many people and my t- my 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 subject was I think around a thousand people uh, when, when I tested all these these answers and like the number one reason by far was because my friends go competitions were not on even on really on the map. I think there were seven or eight. However, I think that's a little bit BS because in Europe, if you don't have an event that put points competitions, you're not going to get, you're right, not going to get people going.
1: Right. But again, we have to recognize why it's like that. The, you yeah. know, Europe was exposed to this dance when competition is, was really huge. And, you know, in the United States, we have several events that are not point based. That are you know workshop based and, and all that stuff and I think eventually um, that will start to trickle off yes uh, in, in Europe because I think I think people are recognizing that you know not everyone's made for competition and and the, the whole luxury or or um, uh, reason why people are attracted to West Coast swing is the social aspect of it you know we whether anybody wants to agree with this or not we're a social dance first competition dance second but if we talk about the ballroom latin standard smooth all of those you know dances those are competition dances first social dances second you know nobody gets up in the morning and goes hey let's go out and waltz somewhere but you know you can totally go out social dancing in west coast swing anywhere even in a salsa club so i, yeah, think I, I agree you know i think it'll take off eventually but but the only way it's going to take off is if the the powers that be, the the community leaders and the community builders, feed it to them and say, This is what we're giving you. We're not gonna give you points and here's why. Eventually people, you know, will follow suit. Look, Robert Royston has swingle bell rock. No points. Everybody came and everybody loved it.
2: We all know, look, I mean there's there's three areas of an event that you can you can do and I think you need to choose two of them. I think there's competition. Social and workshop based. Even for my tap event, I, I view tap as a workshop based, totally uh, event and a social event. We do have competition, but that is not our focus. Right. Um, I, I, I agree with you, Deborah, hundred percent on that. I think it takes community leaders to hey say, look, we're not competing here. We mm. are going to, we are going to go to the social event. We're going to have fun. Right. I think the other re- reason why is because a I think competition adds. For a lot of people, it is a fun thing. Um, for me, I'm a, I'm a competitor. I've played many professional sports. I've competed all my life and everything I've done. Competition, to me, drives me to be better than what what I do. Is it the end-all be-all? No. And as, as a dancer, you know, like we talked about last time I was with you, Deborah, I, I told you, like, I got to a realization now where, you know, I, I can't get enough information. Dancing's a lifelong learning curve. Like, I yeah. I, I, I I'm I'm just hungry for as much information, whether it be ballet or to jazz, to Latin, to everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that when people get in, when people reach that that paradigm shift in their mind, to where you look at dance as an art, you don't really care about what people think about your art. You do your art the best you can, and you do it because you you want to express what you feel you want to express. And I feel like this this is a a, a dancer's evolution that a lot of people. I wish I would have, uh, I wish people would have t- obtained this, this idea way earlier in their career. But I think that w- because if you look at studies, studies show there's various ways why we compete. You know there's tons of research on this, tons of books. And Eric, I told you, I was going to send you a couple of titles. Mm-hmm. I'll do that uh, for you. There's a couple of good, good things that actually there's been dissertations done on self esteem and, and competition and the relation between the two. And, uh, the one of the biggest, Areas of, 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 of things that draw people to dance and competition is, one, physical fitness, two, intimacy, which is a very high on the list for a lot of people. A lot mm-hmm. of men come into dance because of intimacy mm-hmm. or feeling of being accepted by the by the people they're trying for, whether it be man or woman. Right. Uh, and then uh, also escapism. You don't like your sure. reality, so you go to right. this, this this little bubble that you don't have to you can forget about everything.
3: Mm-hmm. So I'm
2: not quite sure, like… Like, I I don't, I think that we talk about culture and talk about different places around the world. I think that those common things, those common reasons why permeate all dancers worldwide, no matter what they do. And I think, I think intimacy is a big one for a lot of men, for sure. I think most men start dancing because they want to meet a girl or a guy. Uh, And I think women, I don't know... Correct me if I'm wrong, Deborah, but I think, in my experience, I think women come in for community more. Yes. Um, I think they all... Women come
1: with- to connect with people in yeah. general. It's Correct. not about, you know... But also, I think, part of it, too, for them, especially, I think, as you get older, you know, women really hate being, like, in a meat market to, like, like say, like a bar to have to, you know, find yeah. a significant other, and I feel, they feel that dance communities or communities in general, like, say, you know, volleyball team community or softball team community is a safer spot to interact with the opposite sex or the same sex, depending on, you know, what you what you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's both of those uh, and I think, things.
2: And I think like to just to, to sum up all those questions in a nutshell, I think, yes, there are cultural tr- cultural differences which can make proximity or space between the,
1: a human a little
2: bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, when I went to Brazil, you know, people are very close there.
1: Touchy-feely, for it's sure.
2: Very touchy-feely. Yes. Mm-hmm. When I go to Finland or Sweden.
1: Not the same. Not the
2: same. However, there are some dances like Dirty Fox, which are very, very intimate and close. Which Is, is kind Dirty
1: of Fox like Disco Fox?
2: No, Dirty Fox is, imagine blues, Deborah, like old traditional blues with mm-hmm. a foxtrot rhythm circling oh. a floor like two-step oh how fun uh, i'll show you next time i see you, i'll show you what it looks like but like it's really fun Aud i want eva, to do it yeah odd yeah. and eva are big and, and they have this uh in this dance they have this thing called uh good news uh, i'm not saying it correctly if swedish people help me Gnus where you basically put your forehead on each other while you're doing this dance so your lips are basically almost touching and these are complete strangers wow. and it's like tango the first time i ever went to sweden for west coast swing I was brought in by Josephine and Nina up in uh, Umea where I stayed for four months, uh, over times. I'm like, I, uh, for three months, whatever it was off and on. And like, basically I went from the airport right to this bar dance, is, which had dirty Fox and a dance called blue, which is like a East, uh, like a single time swing, uh, like an eco East coast swing that, uh, right. travels the floor, like two step. Well, I did my. I, they introduced me to Fox, and now I have a, a line of people wanting to dance Fox with me. I have no idea what this dance is. I've got – I've got. it's just really – it was really even beyond my space. You know what, Deborah? I'm very touchy-feely. Yeah. But this was really hard for me because I, and I have people, women that I don't even know uh, that are touching mm-hmm. my forehead, walking right. around. You have to dance twice in a row. It was really quite interesting. Wait, wait, wait,
1: wait. Back up. Did you just say you have to dance twice in a row?
2: Yeah, twice in a row. This This is (laughs) a rule. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of like a rule. So you dance twice in a row, like tango, you know, like Argentine. Like so, it's really quite interesting.
3: Okay.
0: So
2: it's 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 a it's a cultural thing. So you get Sweden that are very that are very like uh, uh, their personal space is opposite of like India or China, you know, or Brazil. But yet they have these dances that are extremely close. Like It's quite intimate. quite interesting. So anyways, all these cultures have... Culture will have a definite effect, but I think it's where they come into the dance that drives this. And some and and beyond that, some cultures overall are very, very competitive. They view sure. competition as part of France. Sorry, France is one of them. Uh, Russia, is, Russia one of them. is one of them. Yeah. Uh, China is one of them. Yeah. Singapore is one of them. Yeah. One of them. Mm-hmm. It's part of their I mean, culture. It's part of their culture. Sure. United States... And, and and also I think the differences too is is the way we've structured workshops from the beginning. So years ago, uh, Paco Mas, who did See Sun and Swing, kind of really was one of the pioneers for leveled the, workshops. Yeah, uh, for the leveled workshops. The way she did was you do the auditions, you could put in levels, and she would have this room called the crying room. And so if you came and complained, hey, my husband made level four and I made level three okay, thank you very much. Here's your money back. We don't want you here. We, if you think that the, the 10 best people in the world think you're in level three and, you're, and you want to be in level four, maybe your ego is, is, is an issue. Right. So she wouldn't put up with it. She, and so it created this learning, like, learning system. system that basically allowed people to be put into like levels where we as instructors can really come in and fly with them with the, with the appropriate technique. And I think that is really a godsend for us because now we can really, really push the higher levels higher and the, and give the, the lower level the, the great technique that, that they need as well. So like um, and the fundamentals. So I think it's a, been a really good thing. Now, we ch- I tried to do this in San Francisco. Do you remember this? I tried to do this in San Francisco and it was a disaster. People would say, I have been dancing for 15 years. I'm not a novice right. dancer. You know, I'm like, yeah, but you can't do a push break. I have to put you in level mm-hmm. two, you know? So it, it, there's a lot of entitlement here in the U.S. And that's another thing. I think that when I talk about work ethic, people – I'm not saying – this is a generalization, but I feel like a lot of people in the U.S. are very entitled for what they're what what they what they supposed to be given.
1: Right, but look at our culture. We, we've, we've breeded a culture where – uh, everybody, uh, you know, on the soccer team gets a medal or gets a trophy. Um, you yeah, know, you, correct. Right. So this is, I think, that's why it's like that. It's not that you know we've chosen well, no. to be that way. Right we've or tried, wrong. Right. Yeah, right
2: or wrong. Deborah, it Doesn't yeah. matter. But I'm just right. saying. Like, I mean, I mean, the fact that you know, I got people in the United States going, I'm not going to Budapest because I don't want to compete against these awesome girls. Right. That's a problem to me. I agree with you. Go to Budapest if you want to be an all-star dancer. Learn a skill go set. Buda- yeah, right. go to Budapest or go to go to these big events like Mad Jam and and Capital and Boogie and and Singapore and go mm-hmm. go, go go compete against against the best in the world and see how you do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, going from okay, so <laughs> let's go on to another topic. Points because this is all leading in. Mm-hmm. I have a big issue with this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yes. I have two. Th- I'm going to say one thing. I don't think the system is as broke as a lot of people say it's broke. I really don't. I think it will even out. It will. It will. It will. It will all come to a point of be. You
3: know,
2: uh, it will come to uh, some kind of stasis soon.
3: Okay. But it,
2: it, it will go through its ups and downs. Do I like what's happening right now with the point system? No. <laughs> I don't like the fact that the point system rewards people with a lot of money who can travel to a lot of small events, collect right. one point with no prelims. I keep earning these points to where they right. get to a certain level and they jump into that level. And I
1: don't always even say, belong
2: there. They don't even belong there. We have all-star dancers that are dancing intermediate level. You know, this Deborah,
3: mm-hmm. And like,
2: it's really sad to me because they're, they, they're once they get to this level, they're almost, it's almost, I've, I've reached this level. Now I don't have to work. I always tell my students, the higher you are, the more you have to work. Absolutely. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous to me that, that I've been dancing for 25 years and I, and I, and I feel like I, I can't. I'm i the lowest novice dancer I could possibly imagine when it comes to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was telling Deborah I was just doing adagio work in ballet class, and I felt like I was falling on the floor constantly. You know? But I want more. I want more. I want, I want more. But this attitude doesn't exist with a lot of people. And the people it does exist with, like the Simeon and Maria's, the Laslo's, the Z's, the Delana's, the Zach Skinner's.
1: All of them who are not part of the U.S.
2: All of them who are not part of the right. U.S. are not, brilliant. It's...
1: Right, because it's not part of our culture in the last, I'm going to say, 20 years, maybe more, who knows, to work at anything, because we give everybody everything. You don't have to work for it. Everyone's getting a trophy. That's the problem.
2: And and the funny thing about this, the contradiction with this, the, the hypocrisy behind this, is you look at people like Benji, and you look at people like Jordan Todd, and you look at people like yourself and Robert, and the amount of work you guys put in to reach the levels that you did... Right. And the, and the accolades, I always tell people, don't, you know, if you want to, if you want to, these accolades, if you want these, if you want these to achieve these goals, if these great legends have been like yourself, Deborah, have, have obtained, it's not just given to you. You must work. Yes. You must work harder than you ever can think that you, you possibly can. I've mm-hmm. seen practices with Jordan and Todd. I've seen, pra- you know, I've coached a lot of these couples in routines and I, the amount of work ethic they have is absolutely ridiculous. Yes. You know, and I, I just wish that people would see that. But here's the thing. It comes down to goals. You know this, Deborah. Like, Eric, you saying a lot of people don't go into this without a goal. They want to get to all-stars or champions. They want that, but they don't know why they want that.
1: I know why they want it because they think being an all-star champion automatically makes you a teacher because that's what's yeah, happening yeah. now on in, yeah. on the circuit. I mean, come on. Let's, let's yes. call a spade a spade. I don't think it's just that. I think it's a status.
2: It's status, Eric. Yeah, I
1: that's
2: it. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird status that is absolutely just mind-blowing to me. Because I feel like the one thing, if you study competition theory, the one thing that will hinder you the most is lack of goals and ego. Ego will really hinder your ability to, to go forward. And so anything. will lack of goals in anything you do. Mm-hmm. And so every time that I go into these classes, I always tell people, you must go home. and and be, and this is the biggest thing I say, be truthful and honest with yourself, have the goal, write down a goal that you want to achieve. And once you have a goal, then figure out a a road to get there, go to your coach and figure out a road to get there. And I feel like that one step is not, is not, um,
1: cultivated.
2: is not cultivated. And and I Mm -hmm. think, I I think Deborah, like the last, one of the last uh programs by the way i love your show guys it's amazing and i've been listening to all and i've been promoting all these shows to everybody thank you but, but one of the uh i think it was brandy maybe
1: yes brilliant that's
2: yeah she's just a she's just a a blessing to our community but mm-hmm. robert all of them lindo best to everybody deborah yeah. yourself everybody but i think the the lack of mentorship i consider myself a mentor deborah like i yeah, I haven't. I don't have U.S. Open Championships. I wish I did, but I didn't have. I, di- I didn't have those goals. Mm-hmm. So one thing I look back at my life that I, in my community, that I really wish I would have done more and done more of the routine circuit. But it's never too late. But regardless, I'm just saying there's lack of mentorship, and I feel like mentors, a good mentor will tell will put the person on the right track. Whether it be if they want to come in for a social reason and meet people. Or whether it be you want to be a all star or competition dancer, there's a a great example is one case I had in Singapore with Jo. You know Jo, Deborah, the tall guy. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know Jo. So mm-hmm. I was going through the the high level class last year, and I and I said, I said I want to know everybody's goals here before I even start this class. I want to know what your goal is. Am I wasting my time teaching you all this stuff, or do you are we working on something that we that that's going to lead to some kind of goal achievement? So I went around the room and I asked people goals. And the only one that really had it was J.O. J.O. Said, J. said, I want to be a champion dancer and I want to teach someday. That's my goal. And I'm like, go J.O. That was one of the – he was, didn't even have to blink an eye when he said that. Mm-hmm. And some of the other people I had in the class came to me afterwards and said they were in tears because they, they never thought of that. And I'm like, you know, you I think that's a lack of mentorship. There's a difference between a coach, a mentor, and an instructor. You know? I think
1: there are some of us that do all three really well. Uh, I get sure. all that, but don't you think too that there, there are just some people that you know maybe their goal is just you know just to social dance a lot and they and in their mind they don't think that that's a goal, which is why you know they. But didn't that's what like, I'm saying. You know?
2: But I'm saying that's what people like you and me and Eric, you too, you teach a lot as well. So like you run a community, it's mm-hmm. up to us, in my opinion, to to help steer them there so they don't get into a trap where they feel a lack of success in this area will be the detriment of their, their self-esteem. And to me, this is the biggest issue in our community. Half of my private lessons now are not dealing with uh, West Coast Swing or Dance. It's dealing with self-esteem. I'm not a professional psychologist, although I read a lot of books. And still, I'm not certified. And I, and I feel like I can only give people my, my advice based on my experience. But everybody has to, to find their own path. I just well, wish that we had more mentors in our community that would help people guide them on that path.
1: I don't think we don't have mentors. I just think that people um, don't reach out and say, Hey, I, we, we, I'd really like to just work with you as a pro that we have so many people that just keep bouncing around to different pros and don't, you know, hone in on one and say, I think this, this pro is the one that I would like to work with. And then that, that amateur would say, would you be, you know, um, my mentor. Cause I do believe that professionals reach out a lot and say, Hey, you're really talented. I really love the way that you dance and I'd love to help you. And, and they're just not, you know, into it. They just don't want to
0: counterpoint to that because mm-hmm. I have wanted to work with certain pros. Mm-hmm. Um, but availability is a problem. Um, right. Like, um, and, and I've had pros say the same thing as you like, Oh, you're really talented. You can work on this stuff. Um, but it it doesn't stick and i I agree with Chuck in that I think i th- I agree with you, Deborah, that we have people who could be mentors, like there are mm-hmm. lots of people who can fill that role, and I do study with a few people who fill that role collectively when I can get access to them um but I do agree with Chuck that um and we talked about this on the mailbag episode that you know I would like to see more mentorship, I would like to see more more of those kinds of relationships that Chuck's talking about not just can I get a private lesson with you but the um the helping guide and shape people in whatever it is they want to achieve and I and I, I feel think like that we
1: that's... do that with the juniors like yeah for sure yeah, but we forget like which is why I feel like I've taken on I've taken on a little bit of a role with the masters because I have a lot of master students here at home in Colorado and you know their biggest complaint is that you know, they feel like they're an afterthought and, um, they feel like there aren't enough events that, you know, have competitions for them and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so I went on their Facebook page and I kind of like told them how I feel about, you know, the master, cause I think the masters are really important. And th- th- most of all the masters are really excited about me, you know, taking them under my wing. And then there are a couple who have this mentality of, well, why are you trying to separate us from everyone else? And I'm like, that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you, you know, knowledge and make, and make you recognize that I have stuff to give you and you guys are important because you've been, you've been forgotten um, for a little bit. I think all of us are important. Don't you think?
2: That's the whole concept. Yes. It, if. It- I believe in my life that everybody is important. Everybody has yes. something to offer, to give in life. And like it's whether we as humans want to to accept that and uh, and look for that
3: yeah. and
2: um, be willing to, to listen to that. And I think that's the problem. There's a lack of compassion and empathy and understanding and too much ignorance on this planet. And I think that dance, I always say there's dancers and there's civilians. We're a higher form of life. Uh, We're a higher species. We're more evolved. Like we do things that I wish the the that the regular world would do. And I and I and I feel like my job, uh, my mission in my life now is just to be able to give as much love as I can that the community has given me back. And um, it's the most amazing community. You know this, Deborah. Eric, you know the same thing. Like I feel like if people would just allow the good side of this uh, to take over their life and not sweat the small stuff right quote quote, quote in the book and I feel mm-hmm. like so many people are in this dance for I want to say wrong reason but a, a very destructive reason and that is self-esteem and self-worth and when you allow any community to outside of your own personal belief of yourself
1: to define you to
2: define you you're in trouble and we all go through this yeah I mean you guys saw my post recently. I, I went, I've been going through a really rough time as a teacher where I, and I, I, Deborah, I called you and I called Brandy and I called Robert, the three people that I really come to a lot.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I, and I expressed like, you know, I've for the past two years, I got three bad uh, workshop reviews at events and I was really disappointed. I was really kicking myself and, and, yeah. and we were always, they were always, always lower division. They weren't the high divisions ever. And so, you know, I, I take my job seriously. I put so much love and emphasis into what I do. And I, just like you, Deborah, you give a lot. And when I hear have a negative review, I get re- it really affects me. So I have to go. I, I don't let it. I, I go train and figure out why, and and try to change my teaching so I can be better next time. But that doesn't. It still affects you as self esteem. You know, oh my god, what have I done wrong? Am I doing something they don't like right, anymore? You know, I. I
1: I think it's important to to understand too that that sometimes um, it doesn't matter how you deliver something. There's always going to be someone that's not going to like you or not going to agree with you or not yeah. going to see things, you know, your way. And and that we, we do have to recognize too that we have people in the world where their their sole you know responsibility in life or the, all they ever want to do is make everyone else's life miserable because their life is miserable. We have those people in the swing community, whether we want to believe it or not. Some of them are event directors. Some of them are, you know, people that socialize it, it. We have those people and we, we can't, we can't, um, let that affect us because they're not the only people.
3: We yeah, just correct. have to
1: keep giving our positivity, keep giving our love, keep giving, you know, we are like, I I, I will never like, I'm an, I feel like I'm a very authentic human being and I'm not going to um, change my authenticity in order to please two people right that's, that's not what I'm going to do right so either either you'll love me or you'll hate me and that's okay
0: <laughs> yeah correct well, right? and we talked about this in finding your place that a big part of of I know for my journey but I know a lot of other people is that um, finding that self-esteem finding that comfort begins with the self like if you know like you deborah know who you are and you're like this is what i offer and it's good stuff and is it, you know if you try to please everybody you're gonna please nobody so um you know for you chuck like i i get it because the same thing happens to me um and i get feedback from somebody in a class and we want we want people we want everybody who walks in our door to enjoy the class and have a good time and get something out of it um and I, I get affected the same way absolutely every time if I get negative feedback or uh, it's you know ideally somebody does it in a constructive way but they don't always do that no <laughs> they it, don't it takes I take a hit and then I have to remember like I have to think about how to wrap that in without it degrading my sense of self
2: yeah right. I feel like in my situation it's really interesting because we talk about cultural and you you guys Deborah has I've been fortunate enough to teach with Deborah a few times and I it's been a great learning experience for me. Uh, it's been so fun but one of the things that i like brandy said she thinks i'm more of a niche instructor where i i come into a class i i feel something i want to give i look at the class i i teach what they need deborah you're very similar to that i love that's why i love teaching with you right but some countries they want you to be german proficiency you come in with a, a, a three bullet points you put them up on the screen you teach that and then and no matter what, if they can get it or not, that's what you teach that you want. And, and
1: then, but Chuck, that just means yeah. that you're not the teacher for them. I mean, correct. correct, like you can't, you cannot compromise your teaching, who you are as a teacher and who you are as a human to satisfy a few people. To me, that's not, that's not good for your brand, but it's also not good for, for the, for people. Right. Correct. Right. We, we have so many people that aren't authentic. Which is not good for humanity. So you're, you're better off, you know, sticking to who you are. And and we, Chuck, you know that I've, I've had, you know, I, I don't always get, you know, great reviews and, and people either love me or they hate me. And, and it's just the way it is. And, and people that know me know that whatever I teach always comes from a place of love. Of course. Right. And some people just, take things a specific way because of what they're going through and in their life, you know, at the moment they've made it really personal. And I understand that because sometimes I do that. But we can't please everybody. Right.
2: Well, what, what I was, Yeah, I agree. You're, you're 100% correct. And what I was trying to get at more is like, when we talk about cultural differences, even as an instructor not so much even as a, a event promoter, but like, or a community builder but as an instructor, teaching around the world has taught me a lot about running classes and Mm -hmm. dealing with the cultural aspects of, of those people. I mean, Deborah. I remember Deborah. I remember when you went to, when when we we worked Russia and thank you, uh, it was, and I, I know that you could fly and you could, you could, you could bark a lot at them and they would be like, let's do this. They're not even a problem. You do that in Sweden, people are going to leave the class, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Right. right. And so it's a really good, it's a really good, um, training ground for instructors
3: uh, as well
2: and yeah and th- so that's another thing too eric to, to go on to con- further that question not only for communities but instructors too is a lot one of my biggest things that i i've been doing over the past number of years is actually trying to help instructors become professionals there's mm-hmm. a big difference between being a pro and being an instructor There's a big and Deborah, you and I have talked about this. Yeah, it's yeah,
1: huge difference.
2: And and there's a and and this is a people business, and a lot of people want to teach, but they don't know how to interact with people, uh, and they don't. Like I said, just because you make make an advanced level or all star level, it doesn't make you a teacher. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem in Europe, and here's the here's Eric. This is my 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 bullets for negativity. Um, One, people are hiring people based on style. And how they do in a Jack and Jill. So I've had, I'm not going to give names, but I've had people come up to me, say, Chuck, you know, that I've been hired for this convention. Can I talk to you? They go, what is it? Well, I've never taught West Coast Swing before. What do I do? <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: But but they got hired because they won two Jack and Jills.
1: And that's not something that you can teach in one conversation, you honestly. Can't. You can't.
2: Know, I and mean, it, it's and, not. And, and, and it's not. And, and it's, not, it's not unfair to, you know, it's, it's not their fault. It's no. that the event promoters will hire people, not even knowing if they can teach or if they can. Ju- That's another thing. As a chief judge, and this that whole judging thing you had on, I have so much to say on that. Oh my god! Right, we have nine more hours. <laughs> but like, but I tell you, like, it, from a judge's perspective, mm-hmm. I am one of the people overseas training all these judges and trying to do the best I can to help them have some sort of training so they can give a, a qualified opinion. On what they see versus just an opinion based on their style preferences,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, there's a problem there. There's a big problem there. So I I, I like what Robert Royson said last uh, a couple weeks ago in Kingswing. <laughs> he says Europe is dancing style with no connection right now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They're dancing style preferences without connection, and like, and they're being rewarded for this. So if you come in as a new judge, they have never judged before, or judge locally. And now you're asked to judge at a major convention. And you don't have the, tool set, the tools or the experience to see connection or to see what's lacking. You will not be able to de- delineate your your scores correctly. You won't be able to explain it away. And that's the problem we have in, in, in ju- internationally and judging. Because these events are limited by budget. They can't hire seven professionals from that have experience from the U.S. They can't. It's, it's not costly. Effective. Mm-hmm. So now I have to use all stars or upcoming mm-hmm. champions, which which uh, which may not have the experience to judge this. I notice that when I teach my judges training seminars, I do tell people, based on my research and my uh, chief judging, I always say that when I have a more experienced judging panel on the uh, on, on judging that event, my standard deviation between scores are going to be a lot much lower than of a course. new panel. Than a new yeah. panel, it's everywhere, right. and even though they... And, and, yeah, it's just really frustrating. I don't know the answer, guys, other than the fact that we need more training and we need more... Right.
1: Um, but I think we, we yeah. need to understand, too, that, like, there are certain things, like, it doesn't matter how many judges' training tests you take. Um, there's something to be said about experience and... Um, Ability to articulate what you're seeing, which I don't think a lot of judges can do that. Um, And and also something to be said about speed, meaning when you're judging a Jack and Jill, you got literally two seconds to look at every person that you're judging and you better know what you like. I'm fast and I, and I can tell you every reason why I put you in or out of, of a Jack and Jill. And you can't teach that. That is not something you could teach. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, Deborah, let, let, let's be realistic. Like what you said is exactly correct. There's a difference between dance, a dance being an, a, an artist. There's a difference between being a Jack and Jill dancer, a routine dancer, a strictly swing dancer. There's a difference between being an instructor. There's a different skill set for judging. And I think speed is the – first of all, being able to delineate what you – be able to see what you – what is is wrong is the key. And I think a lot of people can't see it. And if the people can't see it, can delineate it, and they can't do it fast enough. And I think that's just basic experience, but I do think experience is the best teacher for sure. But with that said, I know there are people out there, there are great dancers that I don't think are very good judges.
1: I agree. Totally. And,
2: they, and there are great – there, there are not so good dancers that I think are extremely good judges. I, so I, could, I could agree with that. I, I'm not saying that's, that's, that's going to be that's not going to be the majority, right. but I do think that in my experience, I, I, there are people that I I would recommend, you know, uh, for example, like, I, I know there are some advanced dancers that I would, wouldn't mind judging champions, because I mm-hmm. think they have a decent eye. There are mm-hmm. some champions that I don't want to judge champions, mm-hmm. you know? I think and as a judge you know there's there's we're not going to get into a judge's debate but right. there's a lot of bias you're never going to get rid of bias but you, our job is is to is to reduce our biases or accept be able to identify our bias and be able to mm-hmm. accept our bias before we walk on that floor and I think that's the problem and I think in Europe we have a lot of regional bias we have mm-hmm. a definite regional bias and we have a lot of ex- uh, lack of experience you know French Kent mm-hmm. now I'm not saying all judges are like this but French judges tend to favor French dancers, mm. you know. Russian judges tend to favor Russian dancers. Yeah. Like it's it's a style preference, mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's a tough one. And that's to me, guys, it's just simply age, it, not not, so, not an age uh, number wise. It's just amount of time on the floor. Mm. Like we have good integrity, Debra. Like I I know that you could hate somebody's guts and still put them first place.
1: Yep. And there's not many. There's not many people. I mean, No, that I could say, say that. And and, which is why, you know, I I always get aggravated when Deborah say is not on a judging panel, because if if anyone should be on one, it should be me. For sure.
2: And and I I, you're a strong judge. And I feel like that is needed more for people to. Sure. Integrity
1: and honesty is the one
2: thing yeah integrity is it i mean i I always start my judges training things i say integrity and i always i always preface when i do my judges training this doesn't mean you're ever going to get hired as a judge it's just information for you to practice with you know and see how you do against all the other judges but Mm -hmm. regardless like i think there's a lot of eric there's a lot of things that we that are new developed things that people that europe and the international community is going to have to go through before they can they can be more proficient in any of this stuff, even from a swing perspective.
3: Mm-hmm. But you
2: have to understand, Europe is not without swing. You know, boogie is huge in Europe. So of course, is, so is rock. So the fact that they don't swing, I think it's—I think it's not. I think it's—it's it's because of the music. I think you know we're yeah. dancing to sixty beats a minute, Ed Sheeran, that doesn't really doesn't really have a swing feel to it. It doesn't make your body want to do that. So, like, I think music is a big dictator to our – and the music in Europe is so different than yes. it is, and Asia so different than it is in the U.S. However, the good news is that uh, Wessie's uh, spring thing, this last couple of weeks, I made a decision to have a category for my all-stars called Frank Sinatra. So all the yes. songs were Frank Yay.
3: Sinatra.
2: And Love it. The event promoter, Laszlo, which you know, uh, uh, Deborah, he agreed to it. Simeon helped me pick some songs, and Justin Peterson from England helped me uh, with that with this category. And it went over really. Amazing. It it was very. You could tell a real all star was struggling. Uh-huh. They didn't even know half the songs. You know, which I mean, they only knew "Fly Me to the Moon" and, and, and of course, Tori and uh, Max Ames. Right. But but I'm like, uh, the way you look tonight was played and. They didn't know that song either, and like, but now, now Justin just wrote me a couple of days ago saying that now he's being asked to put together a swing or a thing Frank Sinatra said at all these events. They did it at Anchor Anchor Festival. So think, and I hate to say this, but, but well, I do. I, I, I love it, but I, but I, I just hate it because it's coming, in my opinion,
3: too late,
2: uh, or at least it should have been years ago. But I feel like swing is really starting to wind back. And I really have to thank Maxime and Tori for doing that demo, which really sparked the interest of dancing to that type of music. So mm-hmm. now, especially Russia, they're really into blues. I actually was asked to play a blues set at Swing and Snow this year,
3: mm-hmm. 2
2: o'clock in the morning, one hour, straight blues. And yeah. Emmeline and Virginie were like, oh, my God, good luck to see how many people stay in the ballroom. But mm-hmm. it's it packed. It was packed. And I was really happy about that. I so love it.
1: You, we good. should all we should understand that you know uh, just because it's blues doesn't mean it's bad. We we I think what ha- what has happened in the last maybe eight years every time blues music has been played in competition it's been the bad blues music and we haven't right. exposed people to the good blues music or the good standards of right. you know. Frank Sinatra and stuff like that, because good music is good music. It doesn't matter. This is why I, I can't stand it when people go, oh, old school. What are you talking about? I mean, good, <laughs> good music has no age. Otis Redding is still damn good. It doesn't matter. Frank Sinatra is still damn good. It doesn't get old.
0: Yeah, you <laughs> and people hey, conflate Debra. all of those with blues, and they're not all blues. Yeah. drives me yeah. batty. Hey, Deborah, can you tell me how you feel about good music?
1: I just said and, and, and again, you know how I am. I mean, all, obviously, you two know how I am. When I get passionate about something, like my voice starts to get louder and my hands start flying, you know, everywhere. And it's not—it's not because I'm mad. It's because I'm passionate about it. Good music is good music. It doesn't matter if it's 1942 or or 2007. Good, a good song is a good song. It never goes bad. Good music has longevity yeah it
2: does and uh, i think that's the, right now eric i think that's kind of the trend of, of europe is to kind of be more diversified with the music choices
0: that's and it
2: has to do a lot it has to do a lot with us instructors in our classes being asked to teach blues uh, technique and connection and footwork and and skills and actually playing the stuff socially i have a big problem in in, in 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 as a as a chief judge i don't like to play blues music for a competition when we never play it socially, I, I agree don't think with that. I don't think it's fair to the competitors. Right. So if yeah, so if the DJ, it's the DJ's responsibility, to in my opinion, to Thank educate, you. to educate people on the music that they're going to be dancing to in competition. And if they don't play the music, then don't play it for competition.
1: Thank you for saying opinion. this, Chuck. Because yeah. we've had this, and this is maybe the fourth podcast now. Where we've talked about music and DJs, and and I've said on on all in all four of those podcasts that it's the DJ's responsibility to educate the people as far as music, blues music, and and more often than not, they all disagree with me, and they say to me that it's the instructor's responsibility. And I and my argument is, DJs spend more time with dancers than instructors do. I
2: agree, hundred
1: percent. So it's there and we we as teachers and instructors do educate our our our, our dancers. Mm-hmm. But if they spend more time with a DJ than they do with an instructor. DJs but, are like three hours at a time. So but, well, Yeah, but here, here's
2: the problem, Deborah. I mean, like you know, I, I'm asked lately I've been asked to teach a lot of these blues workshops. So yeah, that's great. So then I have st- students come up to me, Chuck, this is all good and dandy, but we, we never, never get it. to practice this because right. we don't get to hear it on, in the social board. So what's right. the point? And they're completely correct.
0: So much of the dance in Europe, at least in my experience, um, is influenced by the music. I mean, I think <laughs> I was at Budapest this year, and uh, I think I heard two blue songs <laughs> like the whole weekend. The whole weekend. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we, we joke even on this show about how, you know, fast music these days is anything over 100. But that is like
1: not even fast
0: like (laughs) first of all it's not even fast and second in europe like i would say the average is maybe 90 from what i i typically hear when i'm dancing out there and it's music that um has less of a driving beat like my experience with european dancing is you know i agree with you chuck i think they they're a little more pattern focused um but i think they're great at flow and i think they're great at um more upper body movement but it's because the music calls for it and i feel like a lot of them don't know how to dance to blues or i'm asked to when i was over there i was asked to teach blues in a couple of different cities and i'm like y'all just need to learn how to dance with your lower body but but the music doesn't really drive that you know they're not dancing to r&b they're not dancing to rhythm based stuff they dance to really interesting rhythms or they dance to the absence of rhythm but I feel like the music has been such a big part of the style and evolution of music over there. Now, granted blues is not European, right? It's an American thing. Um, Same with jazz and and swing. So I get that it's not part of their tradition, but if we talk about what makes this dance, uh, what gives it its character, a lot of it is that, that downward feeling, the lower half, the swinginess of it um, that I just don't see them getting exposed to enough.
2: It's just, yeah. I mean, their their technique, their quality of movement is is oh, it's really awesome. good in Europe. Yeah, uh, like I said, their flow is good because of the Zouk influence for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm am just you know like I I feel like our dance is okay. It will it will it will everything will be sorted the out. The
1: pendulum always swings back. Yeah,
2: it does. Sure. Sylvia yeah. Sykes said something to me years ago. She said, you know, you know people when people at a dance. Not like something. It's because it wasn't what they were brought up on. But mm-hmm. it, the pendulum will always come back. I mean, I remember Kelly Buckwalter telling me one time when she won the U.S. Open, she was ridiculed at what she wasn't doing swing. So, listen, like, listen,
1: when I danced the U.S. Open with Robert and we did Chains into Sick and Tired, we we were questioned on swing content. Yeah, yeah you on. saw my call.
2: You saw my comment on that last. Yeah, one on I the mean. Grand
1: yeah, it's just ridiculous. Question of swing content at the U.S. Open. Are you, are you out of your mind? It yeah. swings. It, so I think you're right. Things swing back and forth. My confusion is, is that when I came into the swing dance community, we danced to literally all different genres of music. And there was never a moment when we were like, how come nobody knows how to dance? <laughs> to? <laughs>
2: That's exactly right.
1: Everyone knew how to dance to everything. It didn't matter what type of music came into the community. I think we've just stretched it so far to one side that we listen to just one type of, you know, mute type of music genre. They it's, they all kind of sound the same. That anything else that doesn't sound like that is like
2: Deborah, That is that's the that's the secret. That's the holy grail. Mm-hmm. The fact that we danced to everything we came out. That was the difference. I mean, uh, I think today. And it's not their fault. People want to dance no. with, to what they want to dance to on the radio. That's what right. their that's what their culture says. But if you want to, a dancer is is a, a, a it, it, Yeah, a, a dancer is an instrument of music. So if you can't be able to take that instrument and move it to all sorts of different types of music, I think you're missing a, a big chunk of what it is to be a true dancer. Like, right. and I think I think that there's music. There's music genres I don't like. I don't like Me dancing too. West Coast swing to hard rock. I just, but you can do it, though. You know, you know, know how do to it.
1: do it, don't you? <laughs> exactly. That's the difference. That's the difference. You don't but, you don't, you don't. watch us go and, oh, oh, God, they don't know how to dance this music. That doesn't happen. Yeah,
0: no. So let me ask you a question, Chuck, because it, it gets back to what we, what you and I were talking about online, but also um, this conversation here of, you know, competition is a double-edged sword, right? It, it's great for yep. motivation. Um but it, it causes these self-esteem issues, comparison, all that other stuff. Events are great because they bring people together, but on the other side, they tend to be focused around competition. Um, and yet you've had the strategy of using events to build community, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, why have you chosen that strategy? And have you tried other strategies at building community? Because I feel like, I feel like in the absence of YouTube, um, events are great for showing the dance and inspiring people. But I feel like we have we have YouTube. Like, you know, I, I think of communities yeah, but, like like uh Singapore, right? And Z went and saw Swing and he went and learned it and brought it back to Singapore before there was an event there and developed I, a community.
2: I, I, I will I will I'll say a couple things. One, I, it's not the only way to build a community. Sure. Um
0: but it's a strategy I, you've chosen it, in of It's a, lot a strategy of
2: because because you can't, video can't give you the energy and the feel, that the brilliance of our dance does. Right. That's true. It just yeah. can't. Yeah. And so, like when I when I get people, newcomer dancers, to get on, sit on the floor, and watch these brilliant champion dancers do what they do, it's inspiring. When I first came up. And I was sitting around the jam circle watching the Debras and watching the Jack and Annie's and the Lance Chamones and the Marianne Nunez's and the Barry Jones and all the, all my idols, Robert's growing up. Like I, I, uh, it inspired me, man. I want, I didn't want to miss an event because I wanted to watch it. I wanted sure. to see, I wanted to feel the energy and I feel like not only am I feeling the energy, but everybody around me is full of energy. It gives me a sense of seeing something together that is just magical like, it, it, like, Hey, did you see that? I saw that. Oh my God. I was a part of that too. You remember mm-hmm. when Deborah and, and, and Mario did that routine at grand nationals that rocked the fricking planet. Like mm-hmm, I was there. I remember that. Like I remember the feeling like video doesn't do that. And I feel no. like, and not only that, it's the late night conversations. Yes. It's the the night connecting. Stuff. It's the connecting. It, it's, it's me going to, and a, Deborah. you and I are very similar in this at, at events. Uh, you and I late night will say. By the way, even we're some of the older people on the block, we still are the last ones leaving the damn ballroom. Yeah, which cracks me up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I feel like that energy, that ability to talk to people, that ability to connect—that's what builds a community. Sorry. Then they take that back home, and they're now people that may, they may not have been friends with back home. There, they maybe have an, a reason to connect even more so. Hey, you want to go to this event too? Yeah, you, you want to be my roommate? Do you want it? It just for some reason it just
0: binds people. I, 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 I agree with all of that. I I hundred percent agree with all way. of that. But so so here's the other thing. Um, and I've I've seen this in Europe where, um, I, I'm a big believer that local leadership and um regular instruction and and mentoring and coaching, all the things we were talking about, are really important. Um, for growing community. So an event doesn't happen... I mean, well, now in Europe, there's like an event every weekend or two. Um, But I mean, not everybody can go to all of those events. So, you know, you may start an event somewhere to build community. What else do you do to make sure that after the event, there's still local infrastructure?
2: I want to make sure that there are are communities before the event happens. I'm not saying that I just go into a community and start an event without a community. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying that to... To further the local dance mentality, I'm just going to go out to my local dance to bring them to an event, whether it be a comp- competitive event or another competitive event, like a workshop weekend where they right. can see pros coming out. I think it's a big difference. But yes, it takes, in my opinion, to really build a community. I always, w- w- sometimes I'll go in there and I'll, I'll work with the local communities and I'll give them a syllabus for their their classes, and a way to structure their 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 classes uh, in a way that will will uh help their, their build a dance technique but that's not where i i think i've been more, most successful i think i've been most successful with bringing people from around the world together on in one community to all know that they are all part of one community and they take that mentality home and and they take that community feel and they use that community feel to build up their communities like there's many components and cultural issues have a big or a definite influence on all of this. Uh, And I think, I think there is no right one answer that will suit everything, but you know, based on, you know, basically, you know, all I've done is basically try to get people on the same page and try to realize that dance is not just about ego and self-esteem, but it's about, more than them, and more than any of us individually,
1: mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the, I think the good part is to to understand that, like, um, regardless that culturally, regions are different. The the universal thing that unites them is music and dance,
3: and such things cool. which is that a universal,
1: no matter where you go. And I think that's what helps the communities build you because know,
2: that's dance. Yeah. So. yeah, dance is is the thing that brings us together. Uh, community is what makes us stay. And like I said, that's that's my formula. That's what I've been trying to do. That's 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 basically that in a nutshell. Just be, and I'm, and the key thing is is to teach people to be real and to be truthful with themselves, who they really are, and not be fake, and not and not go about their life in a fake manner. And I think that the more really you can be, the more people will trust you. The more people trust you, the more, the more successful you will be, um, in my opinion.
0: When you work with event directors, um, knowing the, the, the double-edged sword of competition, right, that it can um, drive people but also cause these self-esteem issues, um, and knowing that events can be a great way to bring people together, but that we need a way to sustain that outside of the events. Um, how do you approach event directors? How do you work with them and advise them to create an event that's going to emphasize the community part and the inspiration part, um, uh, and I sort always, of mitigate the yeah, other parts? So
2: that's a great question, your Kind. I always have them not focus so much on the on the on the dance itself. I focus on what would community want to do? Whether it be a, a local tour, whether it be late night relax rooms like we, like a lot of events are doing now, like we did at Tap, and like uh, places where people can go outside the dance world. Breakfast mm. in the morning, right. you know, encourage people to get together, uh, coffee and pancakes at midnight, you know, uh,
1: social things that aren't anything dance. social. Yeah. So make
2: a. I always tell people make a list of social things that you can do at your event to mm-hmm. make so, make people go home. Say, I had a great time. I met a lot of good people. And I danced a little bit. Uh, Dancing is not what usually people will take back with them. They'll take back the experiences of what what they had at the event. And the more negative things you can do, like, for instance, bad time management on the the event, you know, uh, uh, unorganized parts of your event. So I go in there and I help them with the organization. I help them with setting up their budgets. I help them with hiring the right pros. That's another thing. People don't realize how much of a pro has an effect on, on an event. Absolutely. And it's, it's not the pro. It's who you bring with each other. Right. How have, they work well together. That's the key yes. thing. Yeah. And I feel like that's the biggest thing for me is trying to also promote my my peers. Like when I know an event needs help in a certain area, I'll say, hey, Deborah, I, I I'll tell the event promoter, that "Deborah would be the perfect fit for this thing," or, or you know, Kyle would be a great fit for this, or right, Jordan right, would be right. a great fit for this. Right. So I always try to help my peers out as well, based on what the yeah. goals of that event are. Like, and I feel like there are certain pros that are very, very good at everything they do. There are certain pros that are very niche-oriented, mm-hmm. uh, and it depends on what what their, the event promoter's vision of that event is. Right. But I helped. I my job is to go into their mind and help them. Realize what they really want to do. They can see their
1: vision. Yes,
2: and then once I see their vision, then I help structure that and organize right. that vision based on staff, the way they do their staff, the way they do their schedule, the way they do their competitions, the way they do their socials, and mostly the social stuff, and the way they do their the big thing for me is advertising because I have, my background is advertising design, so like I I want to make sure their image of the event is good and it, it looks good. It's not just a, a, a studio event, but it, but there's actually an event that they want to market it and have, have success with. And so that's kind of what I do. I just, I, I'm kind of like an all one-stop package So I can teach. I can do the judging. I can do the mentorship. I can do the coaching. And I also help by, behind the scenes.
1: So here's so, what I call you. You're like, you're like, cause I'm studying obviously to uh, not obviously, but now some people know to be a life coach, but you're, you're like, um, you're like the event life coach. Like you help communities and events um, bring their vision to the surface so that other people can enjoy what their vision is. That's what you do.
2: That's what I try to do. Yes. Yeah. That's my goal.
1: (laughs) That's a good goal. So like we've talked a lot, but in, in, in closing, if there was, if there was one word of advice that you wanted to give, uh, international and United, you know, American event directors slash community builders, what would the advice be for you?
2: to them oh god (laughs) oh god (laughs) thanks a lot i appreciate that sorry uh uh, look i I would say just be truthful and honest with your as who you are as a person because the event is going to reflect who you are more than anything else and i think if you want to be successful as a community builder you have to show people that you are compassionate you're empathetic you are you care about them Almost more than you care about yourself.
3: Yeah.
2: By caring about others, I think we'll take care of anything you need as a person 10 times over, 100 times
3: over.
2: So the, the bottom line is unselfishness. I feel that you must do it for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. You must do it because you want to affect people's lives in a happy and a, a positive way, not a selfish and a negative way. You know, like I said, some people go into this because they want to make money. People see right through it. They don't care about that.
1: They want to be the, somebody. They
2: don't. Yeah, they want to be somebody. They want to be, so. it's ego-based. They want to, mm-hmm. they, they don't care about what people, and those events fail. A lot of them right. fail. You know, but if you if you have people, if, you, if you're you an event promoter, if you want a community builder, you have to start by putting a goal together. What's your goal of this? And I feel like the goal that always succeeds is wanting to better people's lives and bring people right. together together. In in, in a way that makes everybody affects everybody's life in a positive manner. And I think if you can understand uh, that one goal, then devise your your other uh, wishes around that goal, you'll always be successful. I think truth, integrity, honesty, positive behavior Mm -hmm. is always more effective. You know, who who are we? We're a community that, that promotes love and affection and happiness mm-hmm. and the joy of dance why not take that to the, why not promote that for around the world even more than we are
1: and yeah, it takes yeah.
2: but i do think it takes a certain person to really have that vision and also to seek help don't think you know how to do everything mm-hmm. seek help to people who've been doing this for years ask us ask the Debras. ask the erics ask the people who are successful community builders what what can they do to better their situation oh, and if you get into problems with a reduction of people coming to your event or this then look in the mirror and find out why yeah. what's happened and seek help and that that's the thing for life in general seek help when you when you even if you
1: don't think you need it seek it anyways yeah it's ask would do, do things work much better in groups than they do by yourself it's always good to have you know people around you helping you always need each other Yeah, we need each other.
2: I I have a lot of, you know, comments about just life in general on this, based on my age and my wisdom, my life that I've led, and the the stuff that I've been through. I just think that now I look back and I'm like, God, if only I would have done, if only I did, if only. And the key thing is just
0: be truthful
2: with yourself. And if you're going to do this this dance as a goal, or as a career, or even as a hobby. Have the intentions in mind. Be truthful with yourself of why you're doing something. And okay. if you do, if you do that, then the reward you'll gain from this community will be far more than I can express in the words.
0: Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chuck, for joining us today. We're glad we finally got a chance
1: to sit down with you.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. I, I hope I gave something for you guys. Oh, you uh, did. A, you, know, you
1: are awesome, and you you are um we, we we love you in the community and we need you so it, yeah we're really happy appreciate to here you're
0: growing the dance abroad yeah. and supporting people who are so trying Thank to you build for all you do abroad.
2: And thank you guys for putting the show together because it's amazing and I'll keep pushing it everywhere. We need to get some merchandise <laughs> out there and I, I'm gonna buy me and my, me and Anika a t-shirt so we can wear it in our classes. so <laughs> yeah, I think I think honestly if more people would listen to these these podcasts, I think, I think people will get a different understanding of, of, of the dance and how we're all just people. We're all right. just people too. All yeah. coming together for something that we love to
3: do.
0: Great. Yeah. If you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us, you can post a comment on our website, you can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email Deborah and me through our site at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our weekly newsletter, follow us on instagram at the naked truth wcs or join some of the few people who follow us on twitter at naked truth wcs
1: don't forget you can buy some stylish swag at our online store just go to the naked truth forward slash store to buy yours today we can ship it to you or we can get it to you at an upcoming event again that's the naked truth wcs.com forward slash store and if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review over on iTunes.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric.
1: And I'm Debra. And
0: this is The Naked Truth. All right, let's try it. All right. Welcome to the naked truth. Real talk about West Coast. So, oh, wait, you're saying oh, that part? That's me. <laughs> right, right. Just kidding. Wow, that would one, that would swimmingly. Like this is
3: like wrangling <laughs> cats. This is awesome. <laughs> okay.
2: So, Are you so, you so, ready? so,
0: all right, you do it.